This episode is presented by MarketerHire.com. Are you struggling to find and hire great marketing talent? Try Marketer Hire. Marketer Hire makes it easy and quick to hire vetted marketing experts on an hourly, part-time, or full-time basis. They'll match you with the perfect marketer based on your needs and goals in as little as 48 hours. Stop spending months working with recruiters or sourcing marketing candidates on your own. Get started free at marketerhire.com. Hi, I'm Charlotte Knight, CEO and founder of Ciate London, Lottie London and Skin Proud. And to me, it's a matter of diversification. Right time, right place, right idea. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. Sometimes the stars align and a startup experiences meteoric success. These stories become urban myths. Some are one-hit supernovas that burn brilliantly until they implode, while others use the momentum to build the foundation of a viable business. Replicating this type of success is often elusive, but there are some visionary founders who have an innate ability to time trends to fuel growth. Charlotte Knight is such a founder. She has replicated this formula not once, but three times, and stands at the helm of three global beauty forces, Siate London, Lottie London, and Skin Proud. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to dig into your background because you embody the creativity and determination it takes to make a beauty brand successful. Thank you for having me. As a way of setting the stage, can you give us the elevator pitch version of your 20-year career in the beauty industry? Of course, I would love to. So, I mean, I've been now in beauty for over 20 years, and I have covered all aspects of beauty, I would say, starting from the shop floor, working as a nail artist in a salon, moving on to a session career, working as a nail artist, working on runway shows for leading designers, and working with a lot of front cover photo shoots for high profile magazines. This then took me to do lots of TV work. And you know, with any of these things, you spend a whole lot of time backstage or back of set with some downtime. And that is when I really started to yearn to have a product of my own and really used to think about the gaps that were in the market, the gaps that existed. And at the time it was all about nail for me because that was my world. And so decided to create Ciate having sketched and drew lots of uh, images of how my bottle would look if I ever was able to make it a real thing. So that was kind of what really made Ciate come to life. And I started it very small and created this range of polishes that I could use on set and be able to sell to other session nail technicians so they could have all of the amazing tools and tricks to be able to create these looks. And from there, really, Kelly, it just escalated. You know, Ciate became an incredibly successful nail brand, setting the stage for so many never been seen before looks and artistry in Sephora and those types of retailers. And from there, we became a fully fledged color cosmetic brand in 2015. And then we created Lottie. So Lottie was really an answer to this kind of Gen Z social media movement where they wanted to be able to access all of the trends and looks that they were seeing on social media and be able to access it really, really quickly. And so from building Ciate, our real point of difference was our speed. We were able to react to things super quickly. We were able to kind of see raw materials, see products from our suppliers and turn them into a real life product on the shelf in record time. And so able to bring Lottie to the masses and be able to bring accessibly priced 
really high quality makeup to the Gen Z audience. Not resting on our laurels with that, we then decided to move into the skincare world and made our first move into skincare back in 2020 with our Skin Proud brand to really kind of provide millennials and Gen Z super transparent, easy to understand, accessibly priced skincare with simple regimens that's all about skin kindness and looking after the skin. So today, here we are, a brand agency with three brands servicing pretty much the entire globe, working across mass to premium, across all price points. And really, my mission was to be really fully, fully diversified, diversified across brand, category, price point, demographic, and sales channel. And that really is what we are today. And so here we are today doing what we do and exciting and delighting our consumers across the world. I want to go back, if you don't mind, and dig into Ciate London for a moment, because I think there's so many important lessons for beauty founders to learn about just how fast the market and consumer preference can shift. Because there's sort of this, when you launch a brand and you're really good at conjuring up press, you land your first retail, you're like, okay, I've got this, right? It's only up from here. And very often, the sort of creating this perception of scale is much easier than sort of achieving the scale itself. So in 2019, when you launched Seattle London, it was one of the pioneers in the first wave of brands that brought nail lacquer to prestige and luxury beauty retail in a massive way. Because for those who are not part of the first wave, nail polish was not available on shelves. It was sort of in dusty like baskets under the counter. But the nail category was hot until it wasn't. And all things in beauty are cyclical. You know, for the past seven years, we've been hearing about the death now of color cosmetics. But in reality, it's just a cycle. Can you share a little bit about the launch and the trajectory of the business and sort of how fast it happened and then what happened when sort of all of a sudden it fell out from under you? Yes. Okay, so it was an emotional roller coaster, Kelly. 2009, Ciate launched as a really small range of nail polishes. We were knocking on the door of Sephora. I must have stalked our Sephora merchant. I just did not leave the woman alone, bless her. And I just wasn't taking no for an answer. We agreed on a very small, small plan where they were going to list Ciate nail polishes in just four of their 300 plus locations. At the time, you know, we were based in London. It was more expensive to service these four Sephora doors than the size of the orders. But it was a foot in the door. And, you know, any brand founder will agree that's the key. Get your foot in the door and then you build from that point. Fast forward to 2012 and we created something quite magical called the Caviar Manicure. At a photo shoot, we were messing around on set and I decided to plant this the model's lips. She had the most beautiful, full lips and I planted them into a plate of tiny little glass beads and poured the same glass beads onto her nails. And we created this really amazing image. And there was such hysteria on the set that I just knew there was something in it. I didn't quite understand just how huge it was going to be, but I just knew the all of the emotion that we felt looking at this image, there was something in it. 
So I sent that image. It was the biggest hustle of my life. Sent the image completely raw, didn't have a name for it, didn't have anything and sent it to my Sephora merchant. And she phoned me within five minutes of receiving that email. Also sharing the same hysteria, asking when would it be retail ready? Is it industrialized? How quickly could we send this to store? She wanted to put it into all Sephora stores. There was an opportunity where it could go into a big animation that they were doing, but it needed to deliver in three months. Now, bearing in mind, these glass beads were from a little vial that I had bought in Michael's craft store on my last trip to New York. And we had literally just poured these glass beads onto a plate, had absolutely no clue how to industrialize this product. But it was an opportunity and I certainly wasn't going to let it go to waste. So the caviar manicure was born with many sleepless nights. We made it happen. We delivered 120,000 sets of this caviar manicure to Sephora on time and the whole thing sold out within a week. That meant that within one year of that product launching, we went from around $300,000 in annual sales with me working from my front room, which, you know, crazy that we're doing that again now, but from my front room with one person helping me to $7.9 million in one year off of the back of that product launch. And quickly had to grow infrastructure, get an office, build, get the warehouses, build out a team. And we went from having 30 retail stores to 4,000 stores in one year because we launched absolutely everywhere, all around the world, in every speciality beauty store globally. So the sales trajectory was huge. And from there, we went and we launched a brand new DIY nail art set every three months. It was explosive, you know, because as you say, you put something out there that's amazing. The press want more. What's next? That's all we used to be asked. Okay, so this is fabulous. What's next? And so we launched these incredible nail art sets. Now, timing is everything. You spoke about the cyclical nature of beauty. And, you know, in my naivety, I had not experienced the cyclical aspects of beauty before. You know, I'd come from the salon floor. I had worked as a session now technician. I hadn't had this impact. And so we were riding this incredible wave. We could do no wrong. Everything we were launching was, you know, hitting the shelf, selling out immediately. Retailers were scrambling over the stock we had. We had distributors offering to pay us more than their normal prices that they pay in order to actually get their hands on stock. It was incredible. And what happened was within about two years, we started to see a huge shift. We started going to our retailer meetings and they were shrinking the space. Nail was no longer performing how it had been performing for the three years prior. Every brand across the globe had entered into nail. There was this huge, huge, there were huge assortments in every single channel of retail, aisles carved out for nail. And, you know, the consumer was just over consuming nail polish. And, you know, with anything, when you start to see a shift on the red carpet at these award events and celebrities and talent and artists are starting to pare back their nail look, 
that is almost like the first signal that when people are going to start like leaning into their classic red or nude or nay, you know, just keeping it nude. And obviously we had become, if you like, known and famous for these avant-garde, crazy nail art looking sets and we actually kind of made nail art stylish and cool because for many many years prior it had been you know a little bit on the a bit tacky here and there you know so we made it cool we made it kind of like uber uber cool and wearable by everybody so the, we're walking into these retailer meetings you become used to kind of coming out of them and you've locked in okay everything we've shown they want it they want you know huge volumes of everything and you think you know what you're walking into. And you also, you you model against it. Exactly. Everything is modeled against it. You've built your infrastructure against it, and, you know, in all of your investments against that. And within one period, one season going to market week, everything was shrinking. You know, space for nail was shrinking. Nail hadn't been performing as it was. And so this was a huge, huge shift for us, but it started to happen globally. And we weren't the only brand affected, you know, globally, across all brands, across all price points, across all channels, there was a huge, huge, huge decline in nail polish. And it really started to happen very, very, very fast. And so we went from doing double digit million dollars in nail alone, just in nail per year to that dropping by about 80% down in one year, which was huge, 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 huge. It was really troubling time. We had huge amounts of inventory. Retailers were wanting to return excess inventory. And we went from being on the top of our game and smashing all forecasts and budgets and to going to a place where it was very, very worrying times. And, you know, there was some very serious and difficult conversations happening within the business about how are we going to come out of this? You know, we only exist in one channel, which was speciality beauty, with one category, which was now in huge decline, and we have one brand. And that moment that I lived through, that kind of 12 months, really set the stage for me of, okay, the future has to be fully diversified. I never want to be in this position again because beauty as a whole is super cyclical. You know, we're going to have this impact across the various categories at any one period of time. So we need to be able to work through it and come out the other side stronger and better than we were before. And I think that that's the business that I've built today from those learnings that we had and the experience that we had of the dark days of 2014. I think it's such an important story to tell. And thank you for telling it because so many founders sort of have revisionist history perspective on how they got started. And I think that it's sort of a disservice to young entrepreneurs to not share sort of the rough times and when things don't go exactly as planned. What you explained would have put a lot of businesses out of business. Yeah, I think it's super important that founders and entrepreneurs share these stories because, you know, this is my truth. This is the, what we lived through. They are our war wounds. And I'm so proud, the business, the brand, myself, the team, so many of the team are still with me today. And we got through those times together. And it shows the resilience and the mental toughness that we have as a company, as a set of individuals 
it was super challenging, but those lessons have shaped who we are today. And, you know, I'm kind of not glad that it happened because it was super tough, but I'm just glad that it happened then when we were much smaller because that happening when you're a $100 million brand, the casualties are much, much, much more difficult to swallow. Also, what I love is that it really didn't shake your sort of trust in your gut because you're definitely someone that has this intuitive ability to know where the market is going next and what consumers will want. And you've built a brand portfolio to sort of fuel growth and diversify, if you will. So, you know, your timing to focus on skincare, brilliant. But one of the things that all of your businesses share is this ability to not only follow trends, but dictate trends, which takes one kind of an appetite for risk. But you also have, I know that you've learned sort of to kind of calculate the risk and how to manage because someone who plays kind of in that kind of defining trend space, trends, you're not always right. And trends sort of have different kind of lifespans. So now that your business consists of three brands with global distribution, and like you said, doing that as sort of a small brand and doing it as a $100 million brand are fundamentally wildly different things. But how do you sort of stay in the space of defining trends, but also minimizing the risk? I think it sort of comes down to balance. We keep a really good balance on how much we are willing to hedge our bets on newness, on NPD, on innovation. Yes, a lot of it comes down to gut instinct, but when we are launching product throughout the year, we'll always make sure that a high percentage of the newness is actually building upon successes that we've had. So if we've had a success around a certain innovation, be it like a flip technology, like a transforming technology, we build upon that innovation. You know, we've tried, we've tested it. It was successful for us. So where can we go with that next? And so whilst it's new and highly innovative, we have had a testing platform with the previous product that we put out, albeit it's in a completely different format. And equally, when we're building out core, you know, we started to launch a lot of product a few years ago in our kind of dewy franchise. You know, the whole dewy glass skin was really coming over from Korea and people really wanted to pare back the amount of product they were putting. That cakey kind of mattified look was on its way out. And we really felt that dewy skin was going to hit in a big way, but it wasn't going to be a fad. Once people saw that actually making their skin, their real skin look great, there was no way this could be a fad because actually you're just making people feel good about themselves and feel good about their own skin rather than wearing makeup as a camouflage and as a mask. And so we started to build out this dewy franchise and because it was successful for us, again, we've added to it in different formats and just keep building out this dewy product family. And it's not always about never been seen before formulations. It's working with the hybrid aspect of putting some really, really 
benefiting a skincare actives into products and making our product work harder for us and doing that with some really interesting ingredients that maybe people have never seen before being used in this way but also when it comes down to the delivery system itself looking at the way that maybe a certain product has been applied for decades even centuries how can we make that application easier you know why do we have to do it in the way that we've always done it if there is an easier way if there is a way to actually help someone who is time poor do that look in a second let's do that you know for example perfect example one of the most googled or searched for video on youtube is how to create a winged liner and I've got quite deep set eyes. And so I've even struggled with creating a winged liner with, you know, just with your natural hand stroke on your eye to yourself. And, you know, you get a makeup artist to do it. You love it. You're like, oh, I really love this on myself. I want to be able to recreate this at home. And so we created in a stamp. So you have your perfect wing. You have the most amazing formulation and you stamp it in place. And every single time you just have perfect wing because that's the thing about wing liners you know you get one side looking great and then you still have to take on the other side and that's the one that messes everything up and you're 10 minutes late to pick your kids up or to get to the party or whatever is going on with all the stress we have in our lives we do not need the stress of making our winged eyeliner symmetrical or even being able to do it in the first place and just being able to kind of create these little hacks that actually allow you to get time back in your day is also, you know, wonderful innovation. And for us, you know, it's not a high risk product to put out there because it's solving a problem. It's giving someone back time in their day or it's giving them the tools to say, hey, you don't have to be a fabulous makeup artist to do this look. Use this product, bang, you're done, you're ready to go. So it comes from all areas. Marketing is more specialized than ever. Shouldn't your marketing team reflect that? Stop trying to find a do-it-all marketer and hire subject matter experts. Marketer Hire has created a network of world-class marketers that are pre-vetted by the industry's top experts, and they're available on demand. Need to improve your advertising efforts? Hire a paid social or paid search marketer. Looking to solidify your brand and execute an email strategy that converts more customers? Hire a brand marketer and email marketer by next week. With Marketer Hire, it's easy and quick. Join brands like Netflix, BuzzFeed, Curology, Caraway at marketerhire.com. When we spoke last, there was sort of this also common sense practicality around how you move inventory when a trend kind of is fading out in one territory. The reality is these trends don't hit globally. So you don't have to immediately go to liquidation if, for instance, it starts trending down in the U.S. market. And I think very often people feel like they need to move fast. They need to unload the inventory. Yeah, that's something that we've really been able to avoid, as you said, over the years, because we are present globally. It isn't the case that the trends that we put out there in the UK and US, you know, sometimes some other markets across Europe, Eastern Europe, Australia, you know, those markets are sometimes six to eight months behind the US and the UK. And so it enables us to move inventory through those markets later on. 
you know, we really don't have that problem too often, which is great. And it makes for a very, you know, strong business, to be honest with you, because that's one of the hardest things when you're when you're wanting to launch a lot of newness, when you're wanting to put a lot of trend product out there, inventory risk is, you know, it's real. But I think we've managed it pretty well up until now. So I want to talk a little bit about team because I think as founders, we all know that we don't build these businesses by ourselves, even though sometimes that may be the narrative that is pushed out there. It really does take a team. And you've mentioned the importance of team and the fact that a lot of your original team is still with you. I think one of the challenges for teams when they're working with really creative founders There are two kind of scenarios. Sometimes really creative founders want a bunch of yes men around them, which is a recipe for disaster. You shared with me a little bit about the development of Skin Proud and how you had gotten pretty far into development. And in your gut, you were like, this is not right. And you did a massive pivot. Can you share a little bit about that and how you, your process was fascinating because you made sure that the team was fully on board with understanding why, because of the amount of work it was going to take to change kind of at that last stage. Yes. So first of all, with the team, I am certainly not a founder that wants to be surrounded by yes men. That does not interest me whatsoever. And, you know, we really have a culture of empowerment. I want people to feel empowered, to make their own decisions, to own their decisions and, you know, be accountable for those decisions. We are moving so fast as an organization. You know, people have to really have such good resilience, such strong mental toughness, because, you know, with three brands dealing with all of the countries that we deal with, it's a lot, you know, it is hard work, but the rewards are immense. The fact that people, everybody in the business, it doesn't matter what department you work with, everybody has a voice, you know, they see their product and their concepts and ideas going from ideation in the boardroom all the way through to being product on the shelf or being involved in some disruptive marketing campaign. You know, we lead with such renegade spirit. We are like a 12-year-old startup. And I kind of think that that has never left us. You know, we really do behave like that still today. But the time that you're referring to is we were developing a skincare range for the Lottie brand. We felt that it was the right time for Lottie to be able to offer skincare to its community. And so the team really worked hard on on what Lottie skin could look like. And everything was developed and all of the branding was complete. And we were days from pressing the button on going on into production on the primary packaging. I was actually on a work trip with one of my team and we started speaking about Lottie skin. And I just I just couldn't get away from this niggle of thinking that everything that had been created, all of the messaging, this whole all about being proud of who you are and proud of the skin that you're in and just encouraging this consumer to stop using filters, just have more confidence in who they are, you know, real skin, this pledge that we were never going to retouch any of our images. Everything that was coming together in front of my eyes and the team were presenting, you know, the evolution of this product and what the marketing campaign would be. And, and, you know, there was a petition that they planned to put in place that was basically a petition that people could sign to stop people retouching images at a corporate professional level. And I said to myself, this is going to get lost 
as Lottie's skin. There is something so much more powerful that my team has created. The name, the branding, the positioning does not give it justice. This almost is deserving to be a brand of its own. So I couldn't get rid of this niggle. I was going to bed with this niggle. I was waking up with it. And I knew that voicing this was going to have a lot of mixed emotions because number one, people had spent huge amounts of time, you know, over 12 months working on this. It meant a lot of change, a lot of adjustment, a lot of pivoting. There was a lot of investment that had been made. Retailers had been presented Lottie Skin. The sales team had had, you know, confirmations of retailers taking in Lottie Skin. But on top of that, I was also going to be putting out there that we were going to be launching a third brand. And so with a team that were already working on two brands that were very demanding, by putting this out there to the team, I was also saying, oh, and by the way, this means that there's going to be a third brand in our stable. And so look, one day I walked in, I pulled everyone together. I told them how I was feeling. I was just honest and open and said everything that I've just said to you. And I asked everybody to just take it on board, to absorb everything I've said, be a sponge, let all of their initial emotions out and go away. And everyone needed to just simmer on it for a few days and needed to have a think about what I had said, and let's regroup in a few days time. And it took a little while for everybody to get on board. But I gave them the time, we put everything on hold when it came to production. And I gave them the time to think it through themselves. And by letting them kind of come to the decision themselves, that this actually did deserve it, we then put our heads together. And we said, right, what is it going to be called? This needs to be powerful. And um, that's how Skin Proud was born. And the Skin Proud name came from one of my team. As we were just spitballing brand names of what would work for this movement that we felt that we could create. Everything that we do is collaborative. I would never have been able to create what I've created today with my team. And we are a collaborative team, not just with me, but just cross-departmentally across the entire business. And uh, I feel like we've created a really nice engaging environment where everybody feels they're heard everybody feels that they make a difference in what we're creating and that's really important to me you know one of the things that has also been sort of fascinating to watch is that you and your team have truly mastered the art of collaboration so i mean everyone in their brother is doing collaborations but somehow yours remain covetable and different and I think sometimes people underestimate what it really takes to make a collaboration work. It's more than just sort of throwing somebody else's logo on some product. Can you share a little bit about how collaborations have become sort of such an integral part of your brand strategy and how they help to drive growth? Absolutely. So we love collaborating. And yes, you know, everybody is doing tons of collaborations out there. And what we try to do is number one, we look for collaborations where nobody else is looking. So if you think back to the Jessica Rabbit collaboration, you know, that film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, iconic 80s movie, because everything that we do centers to empowerment. So I have no interest collaborating with some IP 
where the princess is waiting to be saved by the prince at the top of the tower. To me, it's about who is like fearless characters, who are fearless go-getters. You know, they are empowering other females to go and grab their life and live their life to the highest. And if you think about Jessica Rabbit, she's saving her man in that film, not the other way around. And so number one, that spoke to me. Number two, she's like ultra glamorous and just stunning and just, she just exudes the Ciate consumer. And so that kind of like started our collaboration ethos and kind of identity as it has to be a character that's empowering, be it a real person, be it a caricature, but it has to lead by empowerment or it has to mean something. There has to be such a deep meaning. So if you think about our Smiley collaborations that we've done over the years, you know, Smiley is all about making people feel happy, the power of positivity, the power of feeling good. I don't want to do collaborations where, as you say, it's a piece of IP slapped on the top of an eyeshadow palette because I want to be able to build a thrill. My team want to be able to build a 360 marketing campaign around these collaborations. And so the only way we can do that is if there is such a deeper meaning, be it empowerment, be it about mental health, be it about driving positivity and giving people a reason to smile. If you think back to our Smiley collaboration, that hit back in July 2020 when everybody was in lockdown and we were obviously going to launch this makeup collaboration. You know, it wasn't timed to be going on then, but we said, you know what? We're not even going to talk about makeup. We're just going to talk about making people feel good. How are we going to do that? Nobody needs to buy makeup right now, but this launch is locked and loaded. So we're going to move forward and we're still going to launch the product. But instead of trying to tell someone how fabulous this lipstick shade is. Instead, we're just going to talk about feeling good, giving someone a reason to smile. And so part of our marketing strategy was to blow up a 25 meter smiley face on the side of Westminster Abbey in London. We gave it some lips and some lashes and it shone over St. Thomas's Hospital where people were fighting for their lives and frontline workers were working, you know, 24 hour days to keep people alive. And it was For us, it was such an amazing moment and it showed the power of what we do and the messages that we can tell and the messages that we can get out there through our launches and through our product. And so looking at other collaborations, you know, some people say that the Edna Mode collaboration was a bit left field. But you know what? To me, Edna is the stylist creating the suits for the superheroes and so who, like everyone is a superhero in their own right. As Edna says, not all superheroes wear capes. So it's like, you don't have to wear a cape just because you're not wearing a cape doesn't mean you're a superhero. And so for us, we were like, Edna Mode is your stylist. You're the superhero. Here's your collection. And so it's looking at things in a really disruptive way and doing more with the collaboration, really personalizing the product, really doing some cute, cute, funky stuff that make it collectible, that make it covetable, that makes them super successful. And we just love doing it. You know, my team is a team full of creatives. And so if you want to keep creative people engaged and excited and enthralled, you've got to keep giving new challenges and new exciting briefs 
to keep their creative juices flowing. And so collaborations has become such an intricate part of what we do. And of course, from a growth point of view, you're tapping into new audiences each time you do a collaboration, which obviously is is super important to our growth. You know, the Disney audience, for example, I mean, they collect collect everything. So a Disney collaboration is always cool to do because, you know, once you tap into that audience, I'm sure they have a house full of trinkets of everything Mickey or everything Jessica or whatever it is that they collect. So we love doing it. You certainly won't see it going away from us anytime soon. So it's not uh, surprising to me that you've been an early adopter on NFTs and embracing the metaverse. Are there any early learnings you can share? Because, you know, there are some brands that are kind of diving in. I think everyone's trying to figure it out. And then there are others who don't really know where to start. And I feel for some brands, it may be just a diversion because at the end of the day, we're building brands in the real world and that's how we make our money. But do you have any early learnings that you can share? So, you know, it's such a new space and and just keeps developing and evolving all the time. You know, just last week, Decentraland became accessible from desktop in a much more seamless experience. So we're definitely finding it easier to navigate with these advancements. But, you know, just like the real world, the space is already becoming quite crowded with more and more brands entering. So it's really important for brands thinking about doing something in this space to really think about out-the-box experiences, thinking about out-the-box creative and being innovative and disruptive in that space as well to be able to cut through the noise and earn the recognition and attention that you're looking for. You know, just like during the early stages of social media, we didn't know the impact it might have on mental health. So we certainly are watching this space very closely to see if it becomes a talking point of the metaverse. And hopefully, you know, providers will learn from their early mistakes themselves and really kind of offer support early around mental health, etc. But listen, we're very new in this space as well. So we're certainly learning. We we hosted an amazing event recently for a new Lottie collaboration that we did with a nail artist. And we hosted the event in Decentraland. And everybody who came absolutely loved it. The fact that you could kind of customize your avatar and you could enter this party as this avatar and dress your avatar in cool designer clothes. And maybe it's cool designer clothes that you actually can't afford in the real world. So the fact that your avatar is like showing up and, you know, kitted out in all the latest and greatest looks and can attend this event. And we had like, Four and a half thousand people attend this event. So when you're thinking about entering new audiences and getting that kind of reach for something like, you know, a half an hour event, you know, the results that we've seen early on are pretty extraordinary. But I think that brands just need to be really careful not just to become me too. You know, you see a brand launch an array of NFTs, so then you feel like you need to do it too because that's the thing to do. And I think that, you know, we're so under the microscope now, like nothing that you do as a brand is unseen. And I just think it's really important that you are very clear about your reason for being in that world. And why are you there? You know, what are you giving back? And it's important that you have all of that set out. So people just don't your audience or your community don't just see it that you're doing it for a commercial gain, because you're going to get backlash. 
to do that because, you know, we've seen that happening to a few brands now. And, and I think it's just, just important that you kind of frame your strategy of why you want to exist there and just try to be as disruptive as you possibly can to cut through because it, it's busy. So Charlotte, I have one last question for you. I am so curious to know what your outlook is for the beauty industry for 2022 and beyond. I mean, I feel like I've never seen more brands or product launches, but I also feel like we're entering this amazing time of innovation where people are creating brands and experiences that we can't even contemplate. What do you think the future is? I'm so excited by the future of beauty. As you say, there are so many brands launching, but I feel like they've been carefully thought through. They are actually answering the needs of the consumer. They are actually filling white space. And so rather than see a lot of brands that are just repetitive, offering the same type of product to the same consumer, I do see huge levels of innovation coming through. The personalization that is coming through for beauty is so exciting. And, you know, from a makeup point of view, I know there's been some really bad press about makeup and, you know, obviously COVID really impacted makeup brands. People were wearing a lot less makeup, obviously. But, you know, in most countries now, masks are off, apart from if you've just got back from Italy, like you, Kelly. <laughs> No, mask, masks are off there too, as of midnight last Saturday. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought that everyone in the show had to wear their masks. So yes, masks are off in most countries around the world. So I really think that from a makeup point of view, people are really wanting to experiment. They're wanting bold makeup. They're wanting to be fun with, you know, a bold poppy eyeliner or a metallic eyeshadow, a bold lip. How much have we missed a bold lip? And so I definitely think we're going to see some explosive makeup coming through, which is so exciting, so exciting for a brand like ours, because that is what we're good at. That's what we love doing. That's where the innovation lives in those types of areas. I definitely think we're going to see a lot more hybrid product more and more and more. You know, people are time poor, but also people are having to be very conscious about their expenditure. You know, living costs are rising. And so people want their products to do more. So if that means that we need to make all of our makeup more hybrid and deliver those skincare active ingredients in all makeup, then that's where I think the trend is going to grow more and more and more. And we spoke about nail at the beginning of our chat today. And nail is back, 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 back. You know, it really started to simmer before COVID. And then COVID obviously saw this huge jump in nail where everybody was learning how to do nails within their own home, becoming masters in their own right. And we are seeing such growth in nail and nail art, you know, to think what we put out there 10 years ago with Ciarte, we are seeing some really exciting innovation in nail coming through from our suppliers. We're busy in the background working on some extraordinary nail innovation to bring back to the market too. So definitely seeing more and more coming from nail and, and more exciting stuff in that area. But also the genderless nail trend is not going to be going anywhere. You know, we've seen brands coming through from Harry Styles, from Machine Gun Kelly. I think we're going to see this more and more and more. And I'm just living for it. 
if we think about all things in beauty being cyclical and skincare has definitely been on a high, are you sort of watching what's happening with the category? Yes, very, very closely. But we're also working on Skin Proud as a whole, diversifying in itself. So we are busy in the background, bringing the proud message to many different categories. Because, you know, if you're skin proud, then you can be body proud and you can be hair proud. You know, we want our community to be proud of all parts of themselves. And so, yes, we're watching skin Super closely. I think, you know, skin has definitely, obviously, has been incredibly huge over the last few years. With Skin Proud, though, you know, we really like to practice skin kindness. We're not all about really abrasive acids that you're putting on your skin. And we actually, we're creating product that allows the skin's natural ecosystem to repair itself. And so actually, whilst skin has, you know, seen this huge growth, I think just the whole kind of approach to skincare is changing somewhat. And I think we're very lucky that Skin Proud is answering the different approach that people are having to their skin. So we're certainly not seeing it impact us in any way, but we're ready working on other categories that are having their... Uh, <laughs> their I have no doubt. <laughs> Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for all the insight. And it's always a fun conversation with you. So thank you for taking the time. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I'm Charlotte. And for me, it's a matter of diversification. Diversification across brand, across category, price point, demographic and sales channel. For Charlotte, it's a matter of diversification. She has an intuitive ability to know where the market is going next and what consumers will want. Building brands that dictate trends rather than following them is tricky business. It takes a certain appetite for risk, the ability to trust your gut, and a plan for when you're not quite right. Charlotte learned a pivotal lesson with the meteoric success of our first brand, Siate London, when the bottom fell out of the nail category overnight. What she learned is everything is cyclical. When some founders would have thrown in the towel, she dug deep and restaged the brand, refining a formula and building a culture capable of replicating success. So in the end, it's a matter of diversification. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. If you like what you heard, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe to our podcast. It's a matter of as a production of Beauty Matter. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media.